Our music is so good. You know, one time, years ago, I met this pastor, and he was saying, uh, and he was kind of just using it. We were talking about baseball, and he says, here's the deal. He says, sometimes you get up to speak, and, and if the music's been lousy, you're going to you're gonna need to hit a home run to affect anyone. And he says, sometimes the music is so good, all you got to do is get a single and run score. And this morning, I feel like oh, I just got to get a single here because that was awesome. And I appreciate them being, putting the work into it and being involved in it and, and leading us in that way. Okay, First John. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. We should. First John, chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. I'm going to ask... Uh, our new youth director, Stephen Hill, to come up, graduate of CNU, worked with Young Life, all-around good guy, and uh, he is going to read our scripture. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I want to remind you on our sheets. Thank you, Stephen. I want to remind you on our sheets. Uh, there at the bottom is uh, kind of an expanded translation on your on your worksheet there, where we just kind of I uh, just take the Greek and kind of stretch it out a little bit and let you get kind of the full flavor. And I want you to see if you'll look at that just real quick before we jump in here. Verse seven on the expanded translation starts off divinely loved ones, and that's because where it says dear friends, and I mean I know what they're trying to do there, but the word is a variation of the word for love, agape, which is, which, which is divine love. And so, so what John is saying here is he's saying, this is a love. This isn't just like we're buddies. This just isn't like we're just family. Okay, this is divine love. You are loved by God. And he says, and I have that kind of love for you. Self-sacrificing love, unconditional love, that's the love I, I have for you. And that's why I put that in there because I just kind of felt like dear friends doesn't quite express the force of the Greek. But anyways, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about verses 3 through 6 in chapter 2 of 1 John. We're, we're working on verses 7 through 11 today. But, but just so you understand, kind of catching up, we talked about walking in the light. We bring out, he brought that out. We have this assurance that we belong to him. And he deals with this assurance of salvation, a very important thing for us to know and to understand. And, and in verses five and six previously, John points to the motivation. We're motivated by the love of God. His word shows us his love for us and we change because of it. Now, John's gonna expand on that idea in this passage. He's gonna delve more into this concept because the idea uh, in verses 3 through 6 is we have, we have assurance because of the way our behavior changes. And now he's going to tell us we have assurance because of the change in how relationships work. We begin to love. We love God. We love each other. All right? So first point on your sheet is in Christ, we can love in a supernatural way. All right? It's, it's another type of love. And, and this is verses 7 and 8. Read those again. Dear friends or divinely loved ones, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. 
Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light, the genuine light is already shining. Now, when you read this, if you're anything like me, I first, when I first read this, I go, wait a minute, it's, it's, it's old, it's new, it's old, it's new, but it's not really because it is. And I'm thinking, what is John, you know, doing here? Is he just like, you know, let them try to figure this one out, you know, <laughs> something like that. Not really. It's not really difficult because something can be old and new at the same time. A new take on an old concept. If you think about it, that's the whole basis for every advertisement you practically ever see. You know, we have this car. Yes, your five-year-old car works fine. But this new car, oh my goodness, it cooks dinner. <laughs> right? It can do this. It can do this. You, you don't know what you're missing. And oftentimes, you'll hear a variation of saying, it's a new take on an old concept. It's a new thing. You know, and, and we see that all the time. It's a great marketing thing that people use. Well, Paul, what John here is saying is John is saying, we have something that you've known. Okay? And, and you've known it for a long time. In fact, it's kind of interesting. In, um, in verse 8, the first word for verse 8 that's translated yet, it, it's a word that means... It's a word that means you've heard this and now turn and look at it from a little different angle and see what the different angle, the difference that it makes. And he's telling them, I want you to see something here. I'm writing you a new command, but it's an old command. You've heard it from the beginning. It's an old command. It's a message you heard. Verse 8. Now let's look at a different angle. I'm writing you a new command. See, that's what he's saying. His readers totally under, he totally got it. It didn't seem weird to them like it does to us. This is the problem with translating something into another language. So he's saying, look, we're looking at it from a new angle. It's old, but from this new perspective, it's new. All right? So we know from the context, he's talking about this command to love. Jesus talked about it a lot. He says, so Jesus talked about it. But it goes all the way back. It goes all the way back to the beginning. It goes back to Leviticus 19.18. Um, where he talks about how we're supposed to love. Uh, God tells the children of Israel how they're supposed to love. So it goes all the way back to the very beginning. So yes, it is old. To love your neighbor is old. All right? But if we look at it from a new angle, in verse 8, he says this truth. Now we see it in him and in you. But we see it in him first. We see it in Jesus and, and he says, we're seeing it in you as you walk in the light. The truth is seen. You begin to love more. You begin to love deeper. You begin to love in a way that you wouldn't normally love. You now have the power to actually live this out. Because, you know, people can tell us we should love. Every religion has that. Every religion has that. Here's the problem. Every religion says, now go do it. You go do it. And if you're anything like me, you go, yes. I will. I'm ready. You know, maybe you heard a motivational speaker or maybe it was at a graduation where somebody told you, go and make a difference in the world. And you're like, I'm going to make a difference. And you go out into the world and after a couple weeks you go, I'm not making a difference. This is a lot of crap, man. What are you guys talking about with this stuff? I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't love my enemy. I can't do it. I have trouble loving the people that I'm closest to sometimes much less people that are further away. And so what is he saying? Why is this new? He says, now we have the power. Because of Jesus Christ, we have the power. We have the motivation. He gives us the example, and we can follow it. 
But it starts with Jesus. That's why he says you see it in Jesus and in you, because it starts with Jesus first. So it means that when we look to him, when we focus on him, even more specifically, because I started thinking about this, how did Jesus love me? Jesus says, you know, I've loved you, now go and do likewise. How did Jesus love me? And I mean, this isn't, this isn't a hard question. He took my punishment on the cross. That's what he did. But I want you to see, we can say that so glibly, no one has in, ever endured what he endured for love. No one has ever loved like Jesus loved. If we think about the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'd pull up some verses there from Mark 14. Just before the trial, just before he's arrested, he took, says he took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to, be, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now, I want to stop right there. Deeply distressed and troubled. I've talked about this before, but I just want to... Those two words are power, power, powerful words in the Greek. One of them has this idea of total amazement, of being taken by surprise at something, something that could be really good or something that could be horrific. Something that's so horrible, it, it, you, you almost lose control of yourself over it. You almost lose the ability to stand. I have a very close friend who uh, was a detective in uh, the, the Washington, D.C. Police Department and one time happened upon a murder. And he just said, he didn't even tell me about how bad, he just said this. He said, I almost couldn't stand. I had to grab the side of the door as I looked in that room. He said, it, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. It shook me to my core. I was horrified. This is the word. Now, think about this. Jesus knew what was coming, right? He knew what was coming. He knew why he came to earth. But now as a man, as a human being like you, like me, he suddenly is getting a glimpse of the horror of it. It's like, it's like the gates of hell opened right in front of him. And he realized, this is what I'm committing to. And we see that. Look at the, look at the rest, verse 34. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. He said, this is, more than I, this is more than I could imagine as a human being. It, I, couldn't, I couldn't grasp it. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if it was possible, the hour might pass for him. And listen to the wording. Verse 36, Abba, Dada, like a small child. Daddy, Father, he said, everything is possible. You're all powerful. You are all powerful. Take this cup from me. Don't make me do this. I don't want to do it. And then, yet not what I will, but what we, you will. He echoes a prayer his mother prayed all the way back at the very beginning when she was first, she said, she said, I am the Lord's servant, may it be done unto me, as you, God's will to me. In spite of all the negatives that are going to happen because of it, I want God's will to me. And Jesus echoes that prayer. He comes like a small child. My son Cody, when he was little, he had to go in for surgery. I mean, he was, he was very small. He had to go in for surgery and, uh, to correct something. And um, so we were at the hospital. Oh, man. <laughs> it wasn't even a huge thing. 
but they had to put him under, you know, that all. So we hand our little boy to this nurse. And she goes, we'll take good care of him. So she's holding him like this, and she turns, and all I see is him like looking at me. Not looking at his mom, looking at me. Because he loved me more. And he, <laughs> just looking at me like, you could just see it. Daddy, where, wh what are you doing? Where are you going? Why is she taking, where am I going? And just, I just started crying. I said, man, I can't do a thing about this can't do a thing about this. That, and Jesus is looking at the father and he's saying, daddy, what is this? What's going to happen? You're going to leave me. I don't want it. I don't want it. You're all powerful. Make it so. And he says, no, but I will take your will. Your will. Not what I will, but what you will. That's what Jesus did for you and for me. He went willingly because of love to something he desperately did not want to do. Jesus overrides his deepest desire because of his love for the Father and his love for you and for me. He suddenly was realizing what was coming, loss of intimacy, punishment for the sins of the world poured out upon him. And, and God is outside of time. So in some way, an eternal punishment was squeezed down into three hours and put upon Jesus for each person in this room. And so here we see Jesus. He, he's loving. He's loving his faithless followers. They deserted him. We see Jesus loving hateful people, those that are involved in killing him. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We see him loving his father, even though he knows that his father's going to turn and he's going to lose that intimacy for a time. Now, this is the kind of love we're talking about. So understand, we're talking about a whole different kind of love. This is something that is supernatural. And yet we get glimpses of it in our lives. Sometimes in relationships, we get glimpses of it. My wife has seen me at my worst times and she still loves me. And it is stunning to me at times. And I don't appreciate it as I should. But I do know this. Her love for me in my worst times motivates me to be more loving, not just to her, but to others. Because love begats love. But this, I mean, she's seen me in my worst, but Jesus took the absolute worst. And he suffered, and the father turned away, and he still loved me. Now, this is kind of deep to understand and we'll never grasp it fully. Because as soon as you grasp something, you realize there's more and more and more. Uh, one time I went deep sea fishing with some friends um, and they didn't have a very big boat. That, that immediately made, caused me some worry. You know, you didn't have like a cabin, like a bigger boat is what I was expecting. And we went out and at one point we're out of sight of land. And I, and I want to tell you, it freaked me out. Because I'm on this little boat with an 85 horsepower motor that's chugging along through big waves. And we can't see land. And so I'm scared. I mean, I told you guys the other day, I'm a wimp. That, that, it's just, I, I, I got really scared. And, and all of a sudden, because it was this whole sense of everywhere I looked, it was just water. Everywhere I looked, it was just water. And then we're in this little speck in the middle of the ocean. That's us in God's love. It's like a speck in the ocean. 
that's an unfathomably deep and wide for us. He stayed on that cross knowing what was coming and he didn't have to. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus, I'm jumping all over, I know that. When Satan tempted Jesus, the point was to Jesus, you don't have to go through with it, Jesus. I can make it happen without you dying. I can do it. I can do it. You can skip the cross. There's an easier way. And Jesus said no. For you, for me. So when we see Jesus loving like that, he's a model, but it's a motivation. We have access to power unlike any other. We just sang, so will I. That song's kind of new to me. But the idea is, you did this, you did this, you did this, so will I. Why? Because seeing what you did motivates me to do it. Because love begats love. So there means, it's, it's, it's a new, it's a new way to be human. So the newness of the command is seeing what Jesus has done for you, and now you have a new power to obey it, a new potential for life. And loving Christ becomes more and more real than ever before. So John is saying, look, this is what you're capable of. This is what you're capable of. We need to be the people known for loving because we're the ones who have experienced the greatest love. We're the ones who have tasted it. And it opens up a whole new possibility for love and for life on this earth. And sin still has consequences. I'm not trying to minimize that. Sins can still hurt. But we can rest in, in Romans chapter 8. There, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, let me give you context here. Paul in Romans 7 has just been saying, I keep sinning. I don't want to sin, and I keep doing it. I keep doing the wrong thing. And you can see, he says, I hate that. Who will free me from the body of this death, he calls. And then he says, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who will free me from this guilt? And he says, God has done it. He has done it. So the legal repercussions are gone. But Paul here is talking about relationships and the relational problems are not gone. We can still hurt the relationship. If you say something that's very hurtful to your child, if you say something without thinking and it hurts them, they're still legally your child. But the relationship has been damaged. Pain has been caused. You see, it's not a sin against law. It's a sin against love. And it has to be repaired for the sake of the relationship. And so for us, God through his word and then the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit works in our life to teach us, we are absolutely safe and accepted, absolutely loved and respected. And because of that, we are empowered now to serve, to love and serve. Seeing his love for us empowers us to love others. So the first thing was in Christ, we can love in a supernatural way. I want to see the second point. To love reveals who we are. Love shows reality, like light shows reality. And what I mean is that when we love in a way that honors God, it points to something. It points to him. It points to our connection to him. You know, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is he saying there? 
He's saying, we have a new allegiance. My allegiance is not to this earth. I want to bring your kingdom down to this earth. I want to be a part of your kingdom growing on this earth because this kingdom of earth is not my kingdom anymore. I'm not a citizen of it anymore. I'm a citizen of heaven. And we belong there. We're in a new realm. And so in verses 9, 10, and 11, he says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. So what does it mean to be in the light? The Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, you're changed, you're a new creation. And I know for me, hearing that for the first time years ago, somebody said, you're a new creation. All things, old, the old has passed away. And I said, yeah, but I still am struggling with my anger. You know, I struggled with my anger before as a Christian, and now I'm struggling still after I'm a Christian. And I'm still struggling with this, and I'm still struggling with this, and we can feel that way, whatever they are. But in the book of Colossians, he kind of, he wants to under, them to understand this realm that has changed. When Paul wrote in Colossians 1, he said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. New kingdom. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We've moved into a new realm. You have to understand something. It, you know, it's that old hymn. This world is not your home. But we live like it's our home. We live like we belong here. We live like this is all there is. And it's not. We're in a new realm. A realm is a region in which some influence is ruling. Uh, um, a theologian put it this way. It's like being drunk. I don't know why he picked that particular one. He says it's like being drunk. Alcohol is this depressant and, and, it, and it starts to work on your brain. And when, and when you are drunk... Everything you see, everything you do, everything you think is influenced by your brain under the influence of alcohol. So it influences how you see everything. You think you can do things that you can't do. You think you're funnier than you are. You think all these different things, it influences you. It changes you so that you look at things differently. We're in a new realm. It's the kingdom of light. That light is Jesus in our lives. So we look at things differently. We look at death differently. We look at tragedies differently. We look at success differently. You know, like success before, it was very tempting if something went really well or you got a promotion or whatever, or you did something that was very, and you'd say, look at me. Look what I've done. I'm good at this. Look at me. And now, under the influence of the kingdom, you can say, you know what? This is really nice. But it's a gift, and gifts come and go. And so I'm not going to make this the measure of me. And we can look at failure differently. Before, especially, I know, I would struggle with this. When I, when I would fail at something, and sometimes I failed spectacularly, I would say, I'm such a loser. I'm worthless. And then I would come up with various obnoxious ways to compensate for that. But now, in Christ, in this new realm, as we're influenced by the light, we can say, wow, that really hurts. But I am still loved. I am still worth everything to Jesus. I can get through this. This 
is not who I am. And on and on it goes. It's a new way to live, a new way of looking at things. Suddenly, in this new way of looking at things, the things that oftentimes people say are not important become very important. I mean, you think about it. What are the things that the kingdom of the earth, this world says are important and people look up to? And God says so many times, that's not important to me. I don't care about that. I don't want you to care about that. Be careful where you rank things in terms of importance. And that's why John says this. He says, if you're a Christian in this new realm, this kingdom of Jesus, and, and you're in this light, but you hate your sister, you hate your brother, there's something wrong at a very fundamental level in your life. There is something wrong at the core. You're not thinking in light of Jesus. You're not focusing on Jesus. You cannot be looking to him and loving him, and thanking him for your life, and what he's done in your life, and at the same time hate someone. You can't do it. Because focusing on Jesus, and what he did for you, ruins your ability to hate. You can't do both at the same time. When we think about the depth of what we've been forgiven, then we understand the depth of his love for us. And when we do that, we begin to love, because love begets love. And so we're empowered to forgive. We're empowered to be gracious. We're empowered to overlook. We're empowered to be kind. It is possible to live this way. I'm telling you, it is possible. There are fits and starts and there are ups and downs. But Jesus is saying here, John is saying here, it is possible to live this way. There is a life that you can live that is at a significantly different level than the way you've been living, he's saying. Looking at light, life in light of what Jesus has done. Because people can miss this. Christians can miss this. Talking to a guy years ago and he was saying, I'm really into you know, defending the faith and debating with people. And one time I heard him talking to someone. And he was very harsh. He was very critical. And I was kind of like mean-spirited. And I just thought, wow, he's got all these doctrines down, but he's missed the big one. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. He's got it all together. He's a great, you know, but there's no love in it. And he's missed, he's attacking the faith that he's trying to defend. So in Christ, we can love in a supernatural way. To love reveals who we are. Now, what does this look like? What does this love look like? And obviously, I can't go into a, a long thing that's going to be qu fairly quick in terms of what does love look like because there's so many facets and variations and ways that love expresses itself. And there'll be more to come on this in this book. But the obvious answer is love looks like Jesus. That's the obvious one. But I want to look at it. Sometimes it's good to explore things from uh, 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 the opposite point of view. I want to look at it from a negative point of view. What is not loving? All right, because he, he says, he says in verse um, 10, he says, whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Oh, no, wait, verse nine. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still living in dark, is still in the darkness. And that word hate is the idea of continually. It's a habitual thing. It's something that is happening all the time. It, it would be something like this. It would be something you indulge in. It'd be something you do with no feeling of guilt. He says that kind of habitual hate, that's just, that just doesn't, it's not, it's not a part of being a Christian. You're not in the light. A Christian doesn't hate because that's anti-love. But let's explore this for a minute because I think this is important for us to think about. How does hate express itself? One, 
the most obvious one, trying to harm the person you're hating. Somebody makes you mad. You get so filled with anger. You get so filled with hate that you just, bam. And you know, don't you feel like sometimes you'd love to do that? It just feels like that would be such a good emotional release. But he says, no, you can't hate. <laughs> uh, Mark's getting on it now. You can't hate physically. You can't hate emotionally. You can't, use, you can't use words to express your hate. You can't use actions to express your hate. This is wrong. This is wrong. Second one is, okay, you say, okay, I'm not going to hurt them physically. Second one is wanting harm to come to someone, not actually doing it. Now, this is where I kind of come into my stride, right? Somebody does something in a car that I think is incredibly stupid. And my first thought is, man, I'd love to see that guy just hit a tree. Not get hurt. You know, I'm quick God. I don't want him hurt. No want any broken bones. Just shake him up. Let them know how wrong they are. Because it's my job to be, you know, the spiritual cop of Interstate 64. That's why, that's why I talk about it so much. One time I had somebody from this church come up and go, you got a real problem. And it centers around driving. And I said, you are right. Okay, I'll say I'm not going to harm this person. But I'm not, I'm not against harm coming to them. In fact, I would kind of like to see that happen. I'd like to see them get their comeuppance. I'd like to see them get what's coming to them. Now, what's going on there? What have I done? I've become judge, jury, and executioner. I've taken out the executioner part and asked God to do it for me. But I've become the judge and the jury. And God says, no, that, that's, not, that's not for you. Revenge is mine, saith the Lord. I am the one who knows all. I will make sure things, you know. And so wanting harm to come to someone can be a part of hate. And it's insidious in our life. When someone has hurt us, we want them hurt back. And God says, don't go there. That's poison. But there's a third part of hate. We say, what is the opposite? Anti-love. A Christian does not hate. And, and I want to read this. I, it's not on the, I don't think it's on the thing. I, I forgot to put it up. But I want to read this to you. This is from um, the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is speaking. And he's talking about anger and hatred. And he says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And that anger is explosive anger that's acted upon. And again, he, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable. Anyone who says, you fool, is in danger, he says, of the fire of hell. Now, Raka is an Aramaic word that meant worthless. You're a worthless person. Okay? And... The, 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 the Greek word for fool there is someone who is deficient, someone who is lacking in ways that would make them normal. And so both of these are very abusive terms. Both of these are very hurtful terms to call someone worthless. What does that mean? If you say something, you're worthless. It means I'm worth something and you're not. I'm above you. And so now Jesus is talking, he's expanding this idea of hatred and he's saying, it's the words you can use to people. It's the words you use to make someone feel worthless or useless or less than you. To look at another human being created in the image of God and to not care about them. 
Because part of this is this idea of indifference. I don't care about you. You're worthless to me. Why should I care about you? You are deficient. So I don't care. And so now he's expanded it into an area. This makes me incredibly uncomfortable. Indifference to a person who's been created in the image of God. Indifference to another person's plight. That is serious. Because how many times do I see people who are struggling in various ways and I'm not interested in, in dealing with them. I'm not interested in being involved in difference. So Jesus paints it in the, this is, he said this is how a Christian is not supposed to be. He takes this series. Looking at positively, it's, it's, it's basically to be in the light. This is what he's been talking about, to see reality the way God wants it to be seen. Not stumbling, not making others stumble, not making yourself stumble. Because if you're always complaining and you're always upset and you're saying, this person ignored me, this person hurt me, this person is insensitive to me, this person doesn't listen to me, this person doesn't care about me, man, you need to get woke. Because the focus is just on you in that situation. You're just thinking about you the whole time. And here's the danger of that. Verse 11 on your sheet. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. This is a scary thing. If you walk too long in the darkness, it changes you. It's the same thing as the light. If you walk in the light, it changes you. You become little by little, maybe small, tiny steps, but you become more like Jesus. If you walk in the darkness, it changes you. And John here is saying, it blinds you. And so the consequences go on and on because you're becoming blinded. He says this true light, the genuine light, is key because there's a false light. Scripture tells us that Satan disguises himself sometimes as an angel of light. When I was in college, and this is predicated on that whole thought that I'm a wimp, uh, I, I worked uh, for a cleaning company uh, nights uh, to make money. And one of them, one of the places I cleaned was, was a huge, it was in the D.C. area, it was a gigantic warehouse. And uh, they had a pretty complicated security system uh, that they used. And they told me when I started working there, they said, the reason is because we, we've had thefts. We have pieces of equipment in here that are worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we've had some stolen. So we have this security system set up, you know. And so you've got to know two different codes. And you make a phone call as you're in and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And I said, okay, but it kind of worried me that I was cleaning a place that got robbed. You know, I'm not cleaning 7-Eleven. I'm cleaning a warehouse, but it had offices. So mainly I clean the offices, but there's one door to the warehouse and way across on one side, there was a bathroom. They wanted me to clean that bathroom. And there was a little light over the bathroom. It's just one of those ones that just kind of shines down. They said, don't turn on. We're not even going to tell you how to turn on the warehouse lights because that's a lot of money. This warehouse is gigantic. 
So you just walk across to that little light and you clean that bathroom. Okay, huge warehouse, lots of mechanical stuff and shelves and stuff like that. There were always noises. I'd be walking across, focused on that little light, you know, and I'd hear clank. Oh. And I start walking again. I hear something. Well, one night I came in and I, what I would do is I would clean that little bathroom first to get over the most frightening part of my whole day. Just to clean that bathroom first and then, <laughs> and then I would sprint to the offices because I could turn on the lights in the offices. I'd be, you know, so I'm walking across and man, I mean, I hear clank, clink, 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 clink. It got real quiet. And in my mind, you know, 90 miles, somebody's here. Because they made a noise and they can see me, so it got deathly quiet. Too quiet. And so then I'm thinking, if they're here to rob hundreds of thousands of dollars of stuff, they wouldn't mind killing me. So I got down on the floor. <laughs> and I started crawling back to the offices. And then I realized that little light and the light, they illuminated me. I thought, what am I doing? They're looking, going, ah, he's crawling. He knows we're here. He's going to call the cops, kill him. I could just see that. So then I sprinted to the office door and I got the door. I said, I know you're in there. I'm not going to call the cops. I promise I'm leaving right now. Clang. And I ran out <laughs> and I didn't call the cops because I'm honest. <laughs> I punched the code in as fast as I could to get out, jumped in my car, drove back to, the, drove back to campus, the college, got there. The next morning they called. They said, why didn't you clean? Oh, man. <laughs> so, darkness hides. Darkness hides. You don't see reality. If I'd have flipped on all those lights, I'd have probably seen that. No, I would have seen for sure there was no one there. There was no one there, but darkness hides. And oftentimes what happens is when we are in darkness, then our mind gets going and imagines the worst and thinks about the worst and goes to the worst and then does things we regret. I regret, I regret not telling them the truth of why the building wasn't cleaned. I regret that. But the punishment for telling the truth seemed greater or the embarrassment seemed greater than the punishment for not doing my job one night. And so I went for the easy way out. I was thinking like I was in the dark. And in that building, in the dark, it hides things. In our lives, the dark hides things. We try to get away with things we shouldn't try to get away with. We're unable to see what God is doing. We're unable to see reality the way God has structured it in this world. Why was I scared? Because I couldn't see reality. I imagined the worst and I acted upon it. Walking in the light and loving your neighbor is critical to your relationship with God. It's critical because the other option is to be unloving and to walk in the dark. And that way leads to death and destruction and frustration and anger. So I want to be in the light. And God is saying, I want you in the light the light. As we focus on him, as we study his word, the spirit illuminates and the light begins to work in our life. And we change. And we find ourselves loving people that we would have trouble loving before. 
We, we find ourselves serving people that we would not have served before. We find ourselves caring about people that we would not have cared about before. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true, that we have an option of walking in the light or walking in darkness. And by your grace and by your strength, we can walk in the light as you are in the light so that the truth will be seen in Jesus and in us. Help us to become people who want to know what is